0: Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now, here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Today's episode is sponsored by Alt-Legal. Alt-Legal's intuitive cloud-based software makes it easy to prepare and manage intellectual property. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today's guest advises clients on protecting, enforcing, and leveraging their intellectual property. Involved in domestic and international trademark, copyright, and patent protection, he and his team also concentrate on brand development, licensing, and anti-counterfeiting issues. The founder of W.R. Samuels Law, Bill Samuels, welcome to Left Foot.
1: Hi, Nicole. Great to be here.
0: Great to have you here, Bill. Let's jump right into the questions. I'm excited to get your perspective on business development. Bill, which of your personal strengths or habits have allowed you to be successful in developing business?
1: I would say, for me, the ability to see what people need and be able to provide that to them, whether that is involved in my actual practice or, or not. So, for example, meeting somebody, getting an understanding of their business, what they're looking for, and connecting them with other people people or resources that I have come across during my my business or networking and other types of connections. The thing that I talk to colleagues about and folks that want to start their own businesses, I'm not necessarily out looking for someone's business, but the five people that they know that need my services. And so at the same time when I meet people, I try to think of the five people that I know that might need their services or be a good resource to them.
0: My career has been in big corporate. And when I started Left Foot and I got involved in another business at the same time, I really looked at this portion of the business and said, okay, my networking efforts, should they be with potential clients or people in adjacent industries as well. And I'm quite certain to your point that it's been the people in adjacent industries that have actually led to more business because they've talked to their network and the conversations were more comfortable. And it's really been a big plus for me. I love to hear when people talk about those stories that it's really isn't always directly at those specific clients that you think can use your services, but you know others in that tangential way, helping others. Bill, let's talk about strategy. So you have your own firm, you have people that are reliant on your business development efforts and the efforts of the other principals in the firm. What growth strategy do you employ? Do you sit down each year and say, okay, we want to grow from this number to that grow X percentage, and this is our plan to do so? Is that part of what you do? And if you do do that, do you go back and look at it regularly? Or do you pretty much face each year with, we're going to do certain numbers? number of activities you know with an expectation for results but not with a with a number or with a laid out plan
1: I do go into it with a plan the numbers I would say are what I would call soft I have targets so to give you an idea of what I mean by that is in a given year I take a look at the different channels of business that we have here at an intellectual property boutique so What's our patent business look like? Filings for patent matters. How can we increase the number of patent filing? I have targets for like, let's say I want two more patent applications per month on average. I don't feel like I put any pressure on myself or, or the rest of the shop. We don't hit those numbers, we are failing per se, because at the same time, I'm taking a look at other channels, litigation and enforcement and defense. I look at those as separate sub channels. And so at the end of the year, when I take a look back, I might realize, well, we didn't bring in the 20 patents, but we did increase our patent filings by, let's say, 10, 15%. But we also see that we increased our litigation by 150%. And that's where the energy went. To me, it's coming up with a plan. I have about what I consider five, six different channels of business within the niche. I come up with a plan, but also one that's flexible, that permits for certain types of organic growth. If we are suddenly doing a lot of litigation work, I'm going to put energy into fostering that. Any of the proceeds from that, I might then put into trying to seed growth within the patent side of the business. I guess in answer to your question, there is a plan, but also very much influenced by what's coming across our desk and what the market is providing.
0: I appreciate that answer. Obviously, you have to be opportunistic.
1: What happens sometimes is you you talk to someone about a patent and they say, well, you know what? I don't really feel like it's worth investing in this patent, but someone's infringing my copyright. You just need to be ready to be able to take on that work. A step that has been difficult to be able to be that flexible, not at all times during the development of the practice, Did I have that capability? As I saw those opportunities and how they developed, I realized that I needed to put resources into getting staff, working with lawyers, building relationships with other attorneys to then be able to handle that in the future.
0: Would you agree with the statement that pretty much your strategy starts with the clients and the client needs and then produces the work in the mix that the clients are really driving for your firm each year?
1: Yeah, I would say that. At the same time, there are certain types of clients that we are seeking out. But I would say strategically, the way we seek clients out is not necessarily going to CES and, uh, for example, and talking to every technology company that we come across there. But More building relationships with venture capitalists, other attorneys, other trusted advisors and businesses that we can be a resource to that have those relationships and connect with those clients in that way. And also understand from those folks, the VCs, the angel investors, what's important to the people that they're advising on the business side and then connecting with clients in that way.
0: Absolutely, working the ecosystems around clients can be a great way to multiply your efforts. Be that recommended solution, recommended firm. Bill, let's talk about tactical things. Many people that we work with at Left Foot that say it's been great. I've had this this set of clients. They've been really my business for the last four years. Now two of them are walking away. It's time to find a new client. And we're saying, no, you should have been looking for that new client while. Well, you're working on those other clients. What tactical best practices do you employ or recommend to others?
1: This has been a challenge. Never stop networking. Never stop trying to meet new people. A colleague of mine, a mentor in the context of staff and employees and talent, was saying, you should never stop looking for potential employees even when you don't need them. Because those relationships are going to potentially bear fruit at some point in time, whether that's being able to connect a client or a colleague with that person because you know that that person is talented, or potentially down the road, that person and you have an opportunity to work together. In the same way, what can get hard is you can get very busy and not have time to get out in the market, meet people, and remind people face to face that you're their resource for the services that you offer because you're way too busy doing the actual work for your current client base. The big growing pain, I would say, for a boutique is straddling that line between doing all the work that there is to do and always looking. For me, I can say recently there was a big challenge. I started to put some processes in place, some structure in how I take care of the business Both internally and ensure that I get out in the market. Tactically you can't leave the street you need to figure out a way to continue to connect with people and connect with new people. Uh, A piece of advice that I was given years ago was uh, clients come and go and it's not personal most likely will never even have to do with the quality of the work that you do. Sometimes folks shift gears, they get purchased, they get a different general counsel who has their relationships. At the same time, you need relationships that could prospectively fill in where those clients had exited
0: you and I are getting similar advice. Always keep looking for employees to expand your network. I've taught that in courses on business development for professionals. Things are going to happen. Even if you do everything right in a business development situation, you still only have probably 50% chance. There's other factors that come into play. And absolutely, clients do leave because of being purchased, other pressures. You have to be out in the market. Great advice to our listeners. And you may have heard this statement, it's important to continue to work on your business, not just in your business. It's important to make sure we get out. How comfortable are you out in the market and networking? Is that something that you feel is one of your strengths? And if so, what's your networking market-facing activity of choice? Do you prefer to speak, to write, to go to networking events? Where would we find you?
1: I'm good with people. I'm definitely a relationship person. I would say at networking events is certainly something that, from a business standpoint, I have been able to thrive in. I also gotten pretty heavily involved in speaking. Oftentimes, speaking engagements also result in follow-up discussions, connecting with people. If I can tell people anything, always follow up. Always. Even if you never hear back from that person, you'll have followed up with them. I have reached out to people after meeting them, don't hear from them, and a year later I get a phone call. I need to file four trademarks. I thought of you. I saw your email when you followed up with me after that meeting. You would be surprised at how many people don't follow up. It's all about being a resource. I'm not really selling anything. I believe that we offer a service that many companies and individuals need. Being a resource, having those initial conversations, and being available is how they reach back out. A key piece to that is letting them know, don't hesitate to contact me. There's a fine line that can be very difficult to learn over time, doing favors versus lots of free work can depend on who you're being a resource to. Everybody gets half an hour. Getting an understanding so that they know what they're getting into. And I tell people, whether I'm doing the work or you're talking to another lawyer, these are the issues that you should keep in mind. Offering yourself as a resource in that way can pay dividends.
0: Fantastic points and and ones that support messaging here always follow up. And now a word from our episode sponsor. Altlegal's intuitive cloud-based software makes it easy to prepare and manage intellectual property. Trusted by IP boutiques, AM200 firms, and in-house legal departments to handle thousands of filings every day, Alt-Legal automatically updates case statuses and deadlines, seamlessly collects key client details, and instantly generates IP filings. For more information, go to altlegal.com. Bill, how about a success story? Either a piece of business that you were pleasantly surprised to earn. I think that would be very helpful to our listeners.
1: Sure. One piece of business that was really surprising, there was a company that never ever thinks about intellectual property. They had never considered how to leverage the intellectual property that they had. Nobody had ever told them that they even had it. When you think about real estate developments and everything that goes into a real estate development. That piece of property has tremendous amount of value when you consider how people identify that location. A great example of this would be Rockefeller Center. It is an iconic, identifiable location as a result of someone thinking about how to brand it and to leverage it Whereas, let's say the building across the street, I couldn't name it, I couldn't tell you what it is. What I can tell you is the show 30 Rock, they took a license to use that name for their television show from the Rockefeller Center. They built rights based on a piece of property, a building, or a series of buildings. There was a client that was in a business more industrial. I had a meeting with them discussing what was possible, what I would call developing the IP that didn't exist unless you took certain steps to brand it and market it and create an identity out of it. At the time, I thought it was a great idea. I wasn't sure how they were going to respond IP is not really a central piece of that particular industry. So when you're talking to someone from Silicon Valley, we're talking to people from Hollywood. IP is front and center. But when you're talking to somebody in a steel industry or developers, they don't even think about it in Pitching this, we were able to develop something special for them. I was surprised and pleased when they decided to try to execute on the project I had proposed.
0: Do you go to them and say, do you realize you have intellectual property here? Let me help you. Or did they realize something, but they didn't know exactly what they had?
1: It was the former. And it was through relationships, where years before someone that worked at that company i had a couple conversations with them in general when they were at a previous company And I said, do you realize that you all could do X, Y, and Z? It was one of those things of talking hypotheticals. A couple years later, that person was in a position to say at a meeting internally, a guy told me a couple years ago that X, Y, and Z are are possible. Should we have him come in and talk to us? And that's how it happened. I then went to them and explained what they would need to do, why there was value to it. The way I saw it was they were either going to value value or take a pass. I was lucky in my business that they saw the value. We achieved some good results for them.
0: A great story. And you know, it's interesting, even if they took the pass, at least you got the idea going better that they didn't. The idea that you were helping, you were a resource to them. The person that you had spoke to about it remembered it was you. And not only did he remember, but he decided to talk to you about it versus going to whoever they were using because they were probably engaged with some other firm. That is a great story. Thank you. Bill, you've been in business. Been in the legal space for a period of time now, and you know, the market's changing. There's a lot of technology, there's legal services firms that have different models, low cost options. We hear a lot about the legal ecosystem. How has the changing market affected your business, and in your opinion? How has it affected similar size
1: firms, boutique niche firms? Speaking to my experience, being a boutique has been very helpful in a fragmented legal market. People are looking for a high quality service, but they don't want to pay quote unquote Manhattan prices. By having a niche practice, we're able to offer what is considered alternative billing structures, fixed fees for work where We're doing an entire project, not billing by the hour, keeping our rates at a reasonable level. Some have joked that we're Cleveland, Ohio prices in in Manhattan. That's not to say, and don't get me wrong, it's not cheap. It's just our overhead, our overall structure as as a business, the IP group does not need to generate revenue to potentially compensate for a down real estate market. In that sense, I have found boutiques that I network with, uh, me being a niche practice, them being a niche practice, there's a lot of synergies. The clients that have been with bigger firms that maybe find, oh, you know, an employment boutique, an IP boutique, those are what's going to work best for my company, even while they have uh, a large firm handling let's say their securities issues or an M&A transaction, that they don't necessarily need the IP group down the hall to be handling that. I have found in this current market has helped boutique shops like my own. I have a number of clients that we work with who have their other work with large firms. It does not affect my working relationship with that client. People have been looking for this type of value.
0: Thank you. It's a, it's a strong response and we're. Hearing a lot from different size firms, definitely from boutique firms that they're coming to the market with, not a model where they don't make money or have some profit because that's necessary, right? You're in business. You have to cover your costs, right? You have to pay your people. You want to build some equity in that business. So of course you need to be able to charge in a way that allows you to do that. This idea that your clients can budget by offering an AFA, something that my last guest called an approval appropriate fee, that idea that I can help you budget. It doesn't have to be open checkbook. It, It can be the right legal support, the right legal advice, the right resource at a fair price. The next question has to do with innovation. I noted technology in a prior question. Bill, what, in your opinion, what are you seeing that's innovative in the way firms are practicing today, working with their clients, or even looking for new clients? What, in your opinion, is innovative.
1: The tools that are now available, whether that's Westlaw or LexisNexis, and being able to pull up information without having to go to the library or flip through books, it's tools like docketing software called Alt-Legal that keeps track of hundreds of trademark applications and registrations that we manage. It self-updates the information and gives us a daily notification of every single change or note to file with each of our filings with the Patent and Trademark Office. Something like that was cost prohibitive for a firm like mine. That's not the case anymore because of innovation, because Patent and trademark offices around the world are themselves innovating, creating digital platforms. Another tool I use for trademark searching, Trademark Now has a tool I am able from behind my desk to search the databases in dozens and dozens of countries and be able to give my client feedback, not just on what's happening at the USPTO, but also things to think about when it comes to Canada, the EU, China, Brazil. There is no border to the internet. As a result of that, issues like patent and trademark are critical to understand where you may run into issues currently as well as prospectively in the future. Things like this have really only existed in the last five, ten years.
0: I was on with a major firm, an A100 firm with their chief practice officer. You know, I asked him the question about adoption. They've obviously invested a lot in technology. And he says, you would be surprised that there is that feeling that they have to adopt and the lawyers themselves have to adopt what is being rolled out in their firms. Bill, do you consider the use of technology a differentiator in the market for you? Do you talk about it with your clients?
1: It's more an emphasis to prospects, clients, and colleagues. Size doesn't matter as a result of technology. I tell people you don't need the resources to be able to do that. The human power, you don't need the bodies.
0: It really is the fact that this technology is now available, in most cases on a SaaS basis, different size firms can access it at a price point that's manageable because of the fact that it's cloud-based and SaaS. And I think that was a limiting factor previously. Absolutely see that as driving more and more people to be entrepreneurs, break out of those larger structures. The structure was necessary to get access to these things. We're working in a very interesting time. We can get access to technology that was never available to organizations the size that we represent.
1: Exactly. I talked to A number of colleagues, they're telling me we have a proprietary system that we had built in 1999 and they're still using it. I can't even imagine. Meanwhile, there are solutions out there, like you're saying, a SaaS solution. It's a whole different animal now. It puts boutiques on a footing where they can deliver same quality service.
0: Bill, what advice would you have for the new partner, the person, the principal that is looking to exit and start their firm specific to business development? What can you share that could be of value to our listeners around business development?
1: What I would say, a long while ago, I went to a business development CLE. There were a variety of partners that were on the panel from solo practitioners to white shoe firms. One of the partners at the white shoe firm said, and this was something that I've taken to heart and tried to implement, but like any other business strategy, you need to balance it correctly. But what he said was, find a way to start doing the work for somebody and eventually they're going to start paying you for it. Meaning you've got to get yourself out there. I'm not saying do free work for people. Certainly be that resource. Be somebody. You're doing some free work. At a certain point in time, the rubber is going to hit the road. There's going to be a filing or there's going to be a document that needs to be drafted. Maybe there's an hour or two hours of conversations about the client's options. Those conversations in a lot of instances are billable. In certain other instances, you have them for free. You have those conversations because at a certain point in time, you need to keep your finger on the pulse. You need to be able to tell who's real and who's just fishing for free advice and never really is going to do anything. When you connect with enough people and the rubber hits the road enough times, you, you look back and the people that where you got burned so to speak will be far fewer and have impacted you far less than the folks that have become clients become trusted colleagues i have a a whole slew of, of attorneys in town and in around the world that i do work with that i get an email they ask me for some advice i give them thoughts and feedback, maybe even do a little bit of research for them. Because whether it's on that matter or another matter, the rubber can hit the road. And that's how you build business
0: great advice. Doing that and doing that in practice, I'm going to project that that makes doing the work that you do much more enjoyable because you're helping people and and giving back. And I do agree with you. I mean, the rubber is going to hit the road and, and it will result in business, if not from that person, from the person they tell about their experience working with you. Bill, it's been a fabulous interview. Thank you. Any last points you'd like to make before we say goodbye?
1: So I would just say one thing. There's only one direction you can go and that's forward have a philosophy of make it happen no matter what it happens in your current situation there's always tomorrow you need to focus on tomorrow you may have had the worst day today you can only bounce back in doing that over time you're really going to be able to achieve your goals
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. Be sure to visit www.leftfoot.net to access show notes, sign up for our weekday series, and embrace what it means to lead with the left foot.